1: Hey, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it's the end of a decade. Right?
0: Actually, the decade doesn't end until next year. Oh my good gracious. It's definitely the end of the decade for all. I'm not one of, I'm not one of those guys. Because I listen, the decade is arbitrary. Like it's we decided on an arbitrary <laughs> unit of time called a day. It's not totally arbitrary, but We still have to, like, have an extra day every four years just to kind of fudge the numbers a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Then you have enough of those, and it's a year, and you have enough of those, and it's a decade. And everybody celebrates every decade going from nine to zero, because that just makes sense. Mm -hmm. Everyone does it that way. And so we are celebrating a 10-year unit of time, and just because there's no year zero doesn't mean that you need to be a jerk about it.
1: Great. Well, I knew that you had that in you, and I just wanted to unlock it for the listeners. It makes me listeners. really upset.
0: And the, the the fun game I like to play is if you go, <laughs> if you see someone doing that in a Twitter thread that's replying to a decade end tweet, and you follow to their profile, inevitably this is this is a hill that they have chosen to die on, <laughs> and they are just spraying this every opportunity they see, and it just must be. I can't decide if it would be nice to have that kind of free time or if it would be sad to have had a wizard curse me with this thing where I have to do this.
1: Or maybe it's just you devote yourself to that because everything else is terrible. Like this one thing...
0: I was going to say, you know, devote yourself to something you can change, but it's not even that. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to. That's true. <laughs> be, this slate's not going to be like, well, we're, we're going to hold up all our clickbait content because the decade doesn't actually end until next year. If anything, you're just encouraging them to do it again next year for the actual, quote, actual end of the decade. Yes.
1: Well, this is my ad for next year's special where I rank a whole decade worth of stuff mm-hmm. from the year 2011. To mm-hmm. 2020. It's going to be mm-hmm. great. It's going to um, be awesome. going to be do- just as good as our book podcast here this week, where one of us reads a book and talks to the other person and you, the listener, about it. Uh, usually a book we haven't read before, like this week. And this week I read The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley, which was recommended to us via Patreon by Addie, um, who among a lot of people rate this among one of their favorite fantasy books ever
0: and that's really all there is to say about it and the person who wrote it right completely had you ever heard of this book Andrew I had never no really yeah Hmm. no I just I hadn't run into it because my my fantasy I didn't really get into the Arthurian stuff too much anyway and then my like fantasy reading was all the like the typical dude stuff like Tolkien and the and the uh, red wall and the lloyd alexander stuff and um, wheel of time of course and when you mean
1: Arthurian legend you definitely mean the tales about that cool aardvark with the fist right
0: no i did i didn't like his work either but no i'm talking about king <laughs> arthur the boy the the boy who pulled the cool sword out of the rock and was yeah, the king yeah sure
1: that king guy. of england mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I had encountered this book when it became a TNT miniseries in 2001. Great, um, my that's high a s- great
0: time to become a TNT miniseries. <laughs>
1: yes. There's a lot of miniseries in late middle school, early high school, as I recall. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was like reading it, and we watched some of the miniseries. That's also a relationship where I watched like the Last Unicorn, a lot of stuff that I did not know about growing up. As a boy reading Star Wars novels, you know, just trying to expand your horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, so Addie said, and this will maybe get us into what well, normally we do. We do an art, uh, an author section, not an or an Arthur section. Also,
0: we don't normally do an Arthur section, but for this episode, I think we might yeah, touch on some of it maybe. because it's about that. Yes, um, and then we do some
1: sort of summary slash take on the book. So that's what you're in for this week um addy said author controversy aside the mist of avalon is one of my favorite fantasy novels and bradley's take on arthurian legend is worth the parentheses long journey so the book is nine thousand page no like 880 pages long it's very long, long. Boy. it's a big long mm-hmm. boy um it has kind of languished on our patreon list sort of for that reason um, I got into it and then I found the author controversy. So, Andrew, what do you let's just like lay out Marion Zimmer Bradley as just the brief bio sketch we need to before we sure. get so, into the book. So
0: uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley is best known for this yeah. book and some of the other Books in the Avalon series, as it as it came to be known, and then also she started uh, another series called the Dark Overd series in the uh, nineteen seventy. Well, no, she started in like the nineteen fifties. Yeah, yeah. And then it really picked up mm-hmm. steam later, and it became kind of a fictional universe that a lot of other authors uh, visited and worked in. Um, Deborah J. Ross is the is the main person associated with it, who I believe still. Uh, publishes stuff under that dark over banner. And I believe but, um, she wrote
1: some of the other Avalon books with a woman Diana Paxson, I think, who wrote a few of them after she passed in 1999 as well.
0: Yeah. So she d- she died in 1999 um at the time heralded by most of the like fantasy science fiction community as a, you know, a pioneer in feminist literature, especially like feminist genre literature. And then um in 2014, her daughter Moira Grayland, uh, came forward with uh, allegations that she had that that Bradley had abused her. I also, I think, her brother also. Yes. Um, and
1: others for she
0: said, yeah, yeah for for many years, like between the ages of what, like three or four and thirteen, I think. Yes. mm Hmm. So she, her, her, Moira came forward with these, these allegations and it had actually been, it wasn't, I don't think, talked about a lot outside of science fiction circles, but uh, Bradley had been married to this guy, Walter Breen. Um, Walter H. Breen, who was her second husband, and they were, they'd, were separated starting sometime in the early '70s, I think, but they maintained like a professional relationship. And also, it turns out some other stuff. Yes. Um. He was. They only actually divorced when he himself was arrested on child molestation charges in 1990, mm-hmm. and he was convicted later. But um. Yeah. It, it came to light as part of this that she was she was aware of his behavior and had like participated in some of it herself. Yeah. Uh. Not just with her children, but with with others. Yes, and yeah, as as you might imagine, that changed some people's relationship to this work when when that stuff came out. Um, you and I both read a piece in uh, Electric Lit by uh, Jessica Jernigan. Yes, uh, the headline on that is "The Book That Made Me a Feminist Was Written by an Abuser," just talking about um, the allegations and and getting. And this this is late twenty seventeen, really getting into the beginning of uh, me too stuff sure, yeah. and talking about it through that lens and just trying to tackle that question of, of art and artists that we've grappled with a couple of times. I think for you personally, it was mostly Orson Scott card yeah. who we did it with. But um-
1: I think, we- and I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but um, I know we were both fans of Louis CK's show. Um, like that yeah. was a very interesting groundbreaking show and it you can but unfortunately like and and it created a lot of space for other interesting work that is well worth supporting now which I think is really what both this electric lip piece um another article in the Washington Post that I found um by Alyssa Rosenberg in 2014 um kind of trying to give space for the works that this harmful person uh like their legacy begat,
0: yeah. Like Jernigan talks about, um, she wasn't a big fan of Bradley so much as she was a fan of the work and of the characters, and so that helped give her kind of a degree of mm-hmm. removal f- from it. But she she said, you know, had I been a bigger fan, I would have known that these sort of kind of rumors, yeah, had yeah, had been going around for years. And I think that's true of a lot of the Me Too stuff too. Is like if you are within certain circles, then you have heard stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, the Whisper Network just kind of works that way. Um, and and uh, Moira Gray- Grayland said herself, you know, uh, she says, this is an exact quote from her. I thought that my mother's fans would be angry with me for saying anything against someone who had championed women's rights and made so many of them feel differently about themselves and their lives. I didn't want to hurt anyone she had helped, so I just kept my mouth shut. And um says of her relationship with this work now, she says... You know, I've read it once since Graylin spoke out, and I don't know if I will read it again. Probably not, I'm guessing. Um, And she says, I no longer recommend The Mist of Avalon to other readers, and I can't imagine burdening a child with it. There are other stories. Uh, Monica Furlong's books, Wise Child and Juniper, are now my go to titles for youngsters. Uh, Amanda Scott's Boudica series are the books that I wish I had found when I was 13, and I'm eagerly awaiting the sequel to Nic- Nicola Griffiths Hild um and i think the the operative line there for purposes of our discussion probably or or just for you know if you're if you're looking for something that does what this book does but isn't tied to you know a monster of an author um there are other there are other stories is is good
1: yeah there was a great article recently on slate um inter- an interview with maria sachiko cecier who just wrote a book called "The Reenchanted: The Rise of Children's Fantasy Literature in the 20th Century," and talking about um, lesser evils but problematic elements behind, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis and colonialism or race stuff in Tolkien, um, and similarly, you know, shared N.K. Jemison's work and Nadia Corfor's work and Zen Cho's work. Um, and said i really would encourage people who love fantasy but feel awkward about their relationship to it to try one of these books and not just one keep going um so yeah
0: yeah like it's if if you have and as the person who recommended this to us said you know if if you are able to set aside the author controversy because you read the book in a time before you knew about it, whether it it was before the allegations came out or after the allegations come out. Like we didn't know about it until we started researching for the show because we are not like in that community and we weren't uh, fans of this work before. But, um, you know, your your own relationship to those characters and what it, what the work made you do still has, value but then if you're looking for ways to move forward or ways to recommend stuff in this vein to other people like the fact that that bradley was awful yeah does not all the way invalidate the fact that this book opened you know the eyes of readers and opened doors for other writers and now those other writers are out there and
1: you can go pay them
0: Yes, you can. You can now go pay them and read their stuff, and make sure that they have <laughs> a career yeah.
1: that can cultivate the next generation of authors. Right? Um, yeah. So, don't
0: buy this book. Um, don't buy it. Just don't buy it. Yeah, we had we had had an Amazon link on our site for a while, but that's gone. We take now. that off. We're not um, going to put that back. And we did the same thing with the. Uh, with the ender books that yeah, we've yeah. we've read but yeah get it get it from a library get it used like don't don't, or don't go out read and spend it your own or don't read it and just listen to our episode you know, it's so yeah, it's up to you i think but my <laughs> goal moving
1: forward in the time that we have here andrew i have two goals one is to give
0: people make it to the end of the episode make it,
1: well that's the that's all that's the goal every that's time the overarching we start <laughs> goal
0: and then you have two <laughs> sub goals okay
1: um my goal is to give people a sense of what this book is so that they don't have to read it and maybe can get excited about going to read something else in its vein Nice, um, nice, nice. or to kind of like hold space for people who have read it and like were moved by it and like what did they find worthwhile in it so like maybe you'll come away um understanding someone's favorite book a bit more which is never necessarily a bad thing
0: well, and if if we can also create a space on our like Facebook and Twitter and Goodreads pages for people to talk about their relationship with the work and with the author, and yeah. to make other recommendations to to each other, like that's I think that's good. That's too. a great so, idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what do you know? Can I make the? Can I move into the different subway car?
0: Oh please do Great. change cars, but don't do it when the train is moving. That's, right? I've heard you know, that. Um, I watch stop. People do it all the time. It's the terrifying. train is stopped. There's a guy on, in this car who is listening to. No, he's playing a game with the sound on. So ka-ching. we're just gonna we're just gonna ka-ching, run out ka-ching. and we're gonna run into the next car. And we're gonna always going. the worst games.
1: Anyway, um, yeah. what do you know about Arthurian legend? You said you weren't super into it. Neither was I. So like, what do you baseline? What do you? I got? I pretty
0: much told you already. And we read this <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventure book. <laughs> Um, a little ways back but yeah there's a boy gets a sword he's okay a king there's a table it's round it's pretty round yes. uh-huh. there's magic as represented by I think Merlin most famously and then also uh, Morgan Le Fay, who Correct. is uh Arthur's, like magic sister and usually she gets a bad rap right like isn't she usually yes she I is- know that she's her own adventure book she was evil and she wanted to kill Arthur. But then we stopped her, I think. Super, yeah, we <laughs> if I, did If stop I'm recalling her. that episode correctly. I think. Um, yeah, she is usually super
1: evil. Um, a mix of like a femme fatale and like a Harley Quinn and an evil wizard lady um, who's really just there to wreck Arthur's good time and destroy Camelot, which everyone knows is just wonderful. And like, why would you ever... Do that.
0: They got look at these tables. They're round. It's true.
1: They made a round table. How many people have the giant circle, round tables? The,
0: the circle just having been invented the previous winter.
1: <laughs> so this takes place in a transitionary Britain that is moving from its like pagan roots to pat like total christianity like it is or dominant christianity rather to to, those guys
0: those guys love transitions over there they really know you notice that about britain
1: oh my god um and so it is the like lineage of the land of avalon and now i'm getting into this book particularly um the lineage of the land of avalon versus like the lineage of people from rome and roman descent the emperors who hopped the Thames and like tried to conquer Britain. And then I think where we're at as this book starts, is that like Constantine, right? Converted all the Romans to Christianity. Uh, yeah, he was the guy who converted himself. Yeah. And then by extension said everyone else was a Christian.
0: I believe he made it the state religion.
1: Sure. Um, so that exists in Britain. There are kind of like lighter haired, more meditative you know roman folks from the from like gaul and things like that who now live there and then there are also the kind of the indigenous like british pagan tribal population um that is if what i could read about where this book came from is kind of an amalgam of research and useful literary devices um so if anything i say is like not actually what happened then that's just the book's fault i'll say um so it's probably your fault a little bit
0: (laughs) well okay (laughs) um
1: but it is like there's the like island of avalon which is this mystical land that is sort of separated from the physical world by like mists and a lake and the, the
0: titular mists.
1: Yes, the tis- the titular mists, and it's led by a lady of the lake, who at the beginning of the book is Vivian or Viviane, um, and the folks just say Vivian. Vivian, I'm, I don't, I'm I don't s- like that stink that you put on that. <laughs> Viviane, um, <laughs> Vivian. The folks who follow this druidic religion um, follow the god and the goddess, mostly the goddess, um, also referred to as the old gods throughout the book, um, and they are in. Kind of like a conflict-heavy coexistence with the Christian priests, um, as I've been talking about. And at the beginning of this book, the two people clearly need to unite uh, in in fending off the Saxon tribes, the Saxon hordes. Okay, um, those are the people Was this before
0: them and the Angles got together. Yes,
1: so okay. these are the people, um, Beowulf's people so even they even reference the beowulf legend at least once in this book they're like oh you, you hear that saxon story of that dude who like ripped off a monster's arm and then dove in a lake that's a good one <laughs> um so these people are going to have to come together and that's kind of like the stakes of the overall book and overall like how can Avalon maintain relevance in this changing world? And how can it unite Britain without losing its identity? Um, so it opens with Morgane, who is Morgan Le Fay. Um, and she can sometimes do this thing that's sort of like a little radio show called Morgane Speaks. Um it's in italics. It literally says Morgan speaks. And then she Podcasting sort of once a week. She talks directly to the reader um in italics. Uh, sometimes it's in like the narrative flow of the book, and sometimes she's like referencing the fact that this has become legend and like the stories are not told accurately, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and she also sets the stakes for this pagan versus Christian conflict, she says, I have no quarrel with the Christ, only with his priests, who call the great goddess a demon and deny that she ever held power in this world. And she goes on to say, for this is the great secret, which was known to all educated men in our day, that by what men think we cre- we create the world around us daily new. Um, so that the primary conflict is like, who are we are going to follow in anything that we have to do? And who it will we be when we get there? And then how does that literally shape our physical world, um, which in Avalon's case, like it can literally just detach itself from reality and just like go off never to sure. return if things get it's sort of like not believing in santa claus you know how in all the movies where like <laughs> either like santa claus dies or his sled doesn't work or whatever if people don't Wait, believe many, in santa the
0: santa claus how many Santa? how many christmas movies are there where santa claus dies
1: okay mate, that's the santa claus um i'm thinking of elf when his car doesn't work because enough people don't have christmas cheer okay sure but that, that's so, or i guess it's like tinkerbell you have to believe in fairies that kind of stuff
0: um boy <laughs> Is, if it's I a be- long if, I believe, I, a lot of time if, if I believe in this metaphor for long enough, does this make it? Does that make it work better? <laughs> um,
1: but right away, you get a framing of this whole narrative, this whole legend that is traditionally about um, big, strong men and the cool stuff they did. Uh-huh. Um, and it is told exclusively through the eyes of the women in the story. Predominantly Morgaine, but also other people along the way: Guinevere, Vivian, um, Morgaine's mom, Igraine, um, one or two other people along the way. Uh, which just is like an interesting. I can see why a lot of people found this book compelling just from that conceit alone. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it like it recontextualizes Morgaine completely. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of other. We, you know, aside from like what it's a book from the villain's perspective, like this is interesting in that it it doesn't revel in that like it doesn't it's not like here's just the untold Joker story. Right. It's it does feel aware of the patriarchal systems in place and the way religion creates and impacts and perpetuates those things. Um, so by shifting the focus of the story away from the knights, it is inherently like subverting those things.
0: Well, and it's you—the Joker example is interesting because an "quote-unquote" untold Joker story is just catering further to an audience that has already been catered to plenty. <laughs> That's and fair. That's fair. This book is is not doing that. No. It's serving an underserved audience and not an overserved audience. <laughs> fair enough. Um. So, like, the be- this book is so long, different <laughs>
1: parts of it are their own books. Like, you
0: never read... A- you read a- And it's split into four books or, like, subsections? You're right,
1: it is. It's the, what, the Magic Mistress? No, the Mistress of Magic, the High Queen, the King Stag, and the Prisoner in the Oak. Um, mm-hmm. And... Sounds like a fun bunch. It does. Uh, And I got through the first like eighth of this book and I was like, dang, that's its own story, Um, which is all about Morgaine's mom, Igraine, who is of the lineage of the women of Avalon. Um, I think her older sister is actually uh, the Lady of the Lake and she's married. She was married very young. To this sort of Christian Roman guy, Gerlois, who stinks, <laughs> and uh, she's supposed to give him a son, but she's only she's only had a daughter so far. That's Morgaine, right? Um, and one day, her older sister and the Merlin didn't. I don't think I knew that Merlin was a title, but it is. Oh, is it? Yeah, he's his name is like Talius or something. Um, But he is referred to as Taliesin, but he is the Merlin.
0: Now, is that canonical or is that in this book? That's in this book. I don't know. Okay.
1: All right. Fair enough. Because we get a second Merlin later. His name is Kevin. Kevin? Kevin Harper the Merlin. His name's not Kevin. You can't have a wizard named Kevin. His name is Kevin. More on Kevin later. Just think about the fact that there's a wizard named Kevin in this book.
0: Man, I'm Kevin a lot of trouble with this.
1: <laughs> uh, Kevin can wait till later. Um, So M- Vivian and the Merlin show up and they're talking to Morgan's mom and they're like, hey, listen, um, we're going to need you to have the great high king of Britain. Like you're going to have to bear this kid and... It doesn't exist yet, and you can't have it with your husband. So, like, buckle up. We have some plans. And the first (laughs) eighth of the book is um, her meeting this guy named Uther Pendragon, who I guess, like, did the old god rites. He's got cool dragon tattoos. The tribal people like him. Um, He is likely to be named king after the current king dies. And the hope is that his kid will be even better equipped to become the king of all Britain later. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of like doubt on this kid, Arthur, his parentage, because when she finally does have sex with Uther, it's because he has co- he's conspired with Merlin to look like Gerlois and sneak into his castle and have sex with her, and then uh dies like a day later and everyone's like well that's timing is weird what's that about um so even as arthur is like ready to ascend to the throne later there's like some doubt on whether or not he's legitimate which he has to overcome sure 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 sure. sure. Mm -hmm. show us the birth certificate yes it's a little bit of that there's a lot of that and there's a lot of (laughs) parentage and lineage and i think that is like it's not a thing that we're super comfortable like dealing with in modern society even as you watch a lot of like you you watch something like succession where it's like this is the closest thing we have to kingdoms are businesses now
0: no I, I think i think anybody anybody who reads any f- fantasy fiction at all knows that that lineage is basically everything like yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. If you're looking at tolkien like the whole reason that that Aircorn is Anybody other than just some like dude who lives outside is because his like great 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 grandfather was a bad king who let the kingdom go under a long time ago. Yeah, that's true. And it got you know, it it goes on through like your your songs of ice and fire and sure, sure, and and everything. Like lineage is a huge thing. So in that context That doesn't surprise me that much about this book. Yeah,
1: no, not at all. Um, It does, you get into a little bit of, like, people who look like their parents or don't become, like, a huge thing also um, because, I guess, like, in this ancient Britain, like, the bloodlines are pure enough that you could really freaking tell. Um, Just got these purebreds. Yeah, uh, like... There's a lot of people who are really close together on the tree Um, in this book. That's just monarchy. (laughs) It really is. Um, You know, we jump ahead and uh, Grain has given birth to Arthur. Uther dies, whatever. So Arthur and Morgaine are half-brother and sister. Um, People are trying to kill Arthur when he's a little kid. Um and so they, like, take him away to be fostered somewhere safely. They also take Morgaine away to the island of Avalon to, like, learn to be a priestess and maybe become the lady of Avalon one day. Cool, 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 cool.
0: Part sure, of sounds
1: great. Part of that job is to engage in the, the kingly initiation rites where um, they have what is called the great marriage where, like... People just bone down, and like all the men represent the god, and all the women represent the goddess, and like whoever comes out of it, like it's cool. Like there's no.
0: You mean whatever children are born yeah. of it? Is that yeah. what you mean? Like you okay. mostly because because in... when you say whoever comes out of it, it can <laughs> has like a sort of deathmatch no. connotation. No,
1: not necessarily. Um, but like in. The Avalon tribes is particularly among the priestesses, like it's all matrilineal descent. So, like, it doesn't really matter who the dad is, but it's important for folks like Lancelot and Arthur who are born of those lines, but then want to become royalty later. So, the big bad thing that happens is Morgane has to do this with the future High King of Britain. She doesn't know who he is. Okay. And she, like, helps him, and she gets, like, all gussied up on Dragon Island. Um, And she lays down for the the initiation rite sex time. And the king lays down with her, and he's covered in blue paint and blood and stuff. And lo and behold, it's Brother Arthur. Whoops. Uh Uh-oh. Bad news. And this is... In most, this is in some versions of the story. I think there are other versions of the story where Arthur's son is the result of a different pairing, um, but there are definitely versions where Mor- Morgan Le Fay is um, the mother of Arthur's child, which is not a secret that a lot of people know for a long
0: time. Yeah, I feel like back not even back then because it's not like historical but within monarchy and in the olden days that sort of thing was more of just like a whoopsie than a real serious
1: (laughs) well and so
0: sort of a thing that
1: people get kind of pissed about in this book is that it becomes clear that it isn't just a whoopsie it is a bargaining chip, or certain people try to treat it as a bargaining chip. Um, Vivian, who's the Lady of the Lake, has been like orchestrated this and made it happen. And Morgaine actually leaves her priestesshood because she's so mad that Vivian made this happen, because um, she's like, "You used me to create this like heir of Arthur." And she's like, "Yeah, but it's like super pure bloodlines. And she's like, "That's really gross. I hate this. Uh, yeah,
0: I like it a pure bloodline in a monarchy is like good until it isn't. like you want it to be yes. like pretty pure,
1: but not that pure correct. <laughs> um, and Arthur doesn't even know that she's pregnant. so it's years before he finds out that he even had a kid at Great, all. Good, good. Cool. This is fun for yes. everyone. Um so he is gonna be the king. Okay, so like that is an example of the women in this world um trying to exert power or exerting power even as it is diminishing through like you know subtle or unknown or secretive channels like kind of um yes, they can actually do magic some of them. They can see the future at times, they can you know scry and they can they have to like command the elements to get into their cool hideout um mm-hmm. but they also are working on people all the time um and part of seeing the future is like selectively giving information to people right it's like hey, i'm going to give you part of this prophecy so that you like know about that part and act on it but i'm not going to tell you the whole thing mm-hmm. i guess okay um so that is also constantly happening throughout this book um jump ahead to arthur is the king they've united behind him and he isn't at Camelot yet. He doesn't build that till later, but he does have a big round table that he has to put together
0: because his you get fa- from IKEA. He's got to follow <laughs> the really the obscure instru- instructions. Uh, imagine and they like part in what part one of the parts was cracked and they're missing some screws. Mm-hmm. And
1: I would like to see that manual because you know in the manual where like it draws two cartoons to like show mm-hmm. you that you need a friend. If yes. the one for the round table had like. 13 friends or like like a whole bunch of wizard
0: one had a wizard hat on and (laughs) that would be fun
1: um so arthur after he's king he actually gets the table from his father-in-law uh as part of his dowry um and he keeps it unassembled in his too small
0: castle for a period of time before he builds camelot which i found funny um that's it but like sometimes that happens if you are moving soon and you want to get a piece of furniture or Sometimes you get wedding gifts you can't use right away. That just or happens. Sometimes you sometimes you buy something before you've measured the room, <laughs> and true. you just end up with something that is bigger than you were expecting it it's to be.
1: Very true.
0: Um, so we get to the
1: like problems at King Arthur's court, which is like the middle third of the book, where his what he's he's married Guinevere. Great. That's how he awesome. got the table. He got the table and a bunch of horses because his best bud lancelot uh his whole deal is yo if we have of horses we will be able to beat the saxon hordes because i can train them to ride like roman warriors
0: because i've played age of empires i get it um <laughs> and i know exactly what upgrades i've got to do <laughs> yes. at our castle uh-huh. i've got tons of farms built around the town center it's gonna be great
1: so morgane met lancelot years ago because he is vivian's son she really fell in love with him. They had one really cool afternoon together. They went fishing and stuff. And then uh, uh, euphemism? No. They went okay. they actually went fishing. They okay, were cool. probably going to euphemism fishing, but then a very young Guinevere like burst through the mist onto Avalon and like interrupted them. And Lancelot kind of fell in love with Guinevere.
0: Okay. Gotcha. This
1: becomes a problem at King Arthur's court because Guinevere is married to Arthur um, right. she like said likes Lancelot a lot mm-hmm. uh, Lancelot <laughs> nice. likes her uh, also Lancelot is bisexual and loves Arthur even more and he probably only really loves Guinevere because it allows him to be close to Arthur uh, Morgane loves Lancelot and also Arthur Arthur loves Morgane and likes Gwen fine I guess um, he also just wants to be a good husband to her
0: that is you like. Send, send me after we get off the <laughs> cock and you send me just a diagram so <laughs> yes. I have it for future reference. <laughs> Will
1: do. Um, and again, you're getting all of this from Morgane's perspective. You're getting it from her aunt, Morgaz's perspective. Um, you're getting some of it from Guinevere, who is the. I think maybe the only w- perspective we have who is not someone from Avalon. Um, she is pretty strict as a christian and pretty on board with that whole faith in ways that are very detrimental to her and because of her like belief in sin um so she is trying to have a kid for arthur not knowing that he already had one um and she thinks that they are being punished For some sort of sin, which maybe is because she loves Lancelot too much. Or maybe it's because she can't convince Arthur to be a better Christian because he was raised on Avalon and like is cool with that stuff, but recognizes that he needs to like kind of walk the fence a little bit. Okay. So this boils over for the big battle with the Saxons where she convinces Arthur once and for all to not fly the pagan banner of the dragon and only fly the cross and it like pisses a bunch of people off um he like has a private meeting with her where she like it's clear that it's attached to all of their marital problems and not just like about faith (laughs) and so he makes the call that he's gonna go for it because he wants to be a good partner to her he Um, wants to convert
0: is that the deal it Maybe. what's what does go for it mean in this He is context? only
1: going to fly the Christian flag and he is basically going to be a Christian king. This is okay, also cool. a problem because the Lady of the lake gave him the sword Excalibur.
0: <laughs> which yeah, where's the Lady of the lake fit into the Holy Trinity? I don't know that she, there's extra room she's for it. kind of off there. to
1: the side going why? Why that? would you say? Why is that the way? Uh, Merlin has a, the Merlin. So did, G-
0: did Jesus give you a better sword than this? Because <laughs> I don't know what kind of sword that guy's got. True. Uh, seems mostly like a carpenter. Did he give you a really cool hammer that's better than a sword? I don't think he did. Mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: When they gave him Excalibur, also Morgan did a whole bunch of praying to the goddess and built him a sick scabbard for it. That uh, <laughs> apparently prevents any bleeding from happening. So as long as he has it's the lightsaber,
0: well, oh wait, no, 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 no. The other lightsaber prevents the wounds that you give someone yes, else from bleeding. Yes. I assume the cool scabbard prevents his own wounds from bleeding.
1: Yes, at one point he f- is fighting a dude who has stolen his scabbard. He cuts the guy, takes the scabbard away, and all the blood just falls out of that dude. Oh no! So it's a pretty magical scabbard that (laughs) morgane made him um and so that's like the big problem in the middle of the book that he has ostracized these uh the avalonian tribes um vivian's super pissed morgane's super pissed guinevere's really happy with him um we're probably not we're probably gonna undersell um morgane's aunt morgaz who wants to be queen of britain mostly by like she is now fostering this son of Arthur and Morgaine, kind of secretly. Arthur, yeah. What did I say? Arthur. Oh <laughs> uh, well, sure, whatever. Makes him up again. Um, and her question plan, of
0: Arthurian intent is a big. Oh, this, this we have to clear up with this book.
1: Her plan is that eventually, when she gets Gwydion, this, uh, this magic son to the throne, that he will like essentially install her as like queen mother, um. Or maybe then he'll die and she'll be queen, or whatever. Um, it looked like you had a question earlier. Do you have a question?
0: No, no, no. I was, I was just gonna ask because we are, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. two thirds of the way into our ep, and this book is nine hundred pages long. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, when you're finished up with like basic plot stuff, I yep. guess I just want to know like what, what you, what you dug, like why you think this, this has stuck around. And why it was like an influential work and then also I don't know is there anything that you uh, is there anything like more gauze that you would like to mention that you just know that we're not going to be able to talk enough about
1: yeah I can do that I can do that okay Mm -hmm. Um, the two things that happen next after this big battle and so something that is interesting about the book as a as a overall thing remember when the HBO series Rome didn't have any money to show the battles. And it was just like, weird that. Yeah, um, and that was
0: also the case with like very early seasons of Game of Thrones, yes. but then they got the money later. <laughs> and that became the only thing that they and did. And maybe it was worse. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, this book doesn't really show that at all because of who is not and who is and is not on the battlefield. But it does then, whenever there is a moment of violence or a moment of like heightened drama, the stakes feel very high and personal. And not just like, oh, is he going to kill the person at the right time? It's like it's way all of the conflict is much more personal and character driven, which I think is what leads people to come out of this book very attached to these characters. Um, So the the big thing that like becomes one of the questions that needs to be answered by the end of the book uh, is this, how is Arthur going to have a kid? How is he going to have an heir with... Well, exactly
0: when a man and a woman love each Well, other very much. And
1: again, knowing that only few people know that he already had one, um, how is he going to have one with Guinevere? Mm-hmm. And a thing this book does very well throughout, and this is just one of the best examples because it has the most um, knock-on effects, is kind of like when a bell can't be unrung... So, like, once you say something or once you ask for something, you set in motion a series of events that, like, you lose control over. Um, This, at a certain level, in some discussions of the book, becomes, like, what is the will of God? And, like, am I enacting the goddess's plan by what I've done? Uh And some of it is, like, am I being punished for this other thing that I didn't do? Um, but ultimately at a per at a human level it is like oh I wanted this thing I asked for it and here's like the monkey paw version of it like you know several <laughs> chapters down the line sure so the the biggest one of these that happens is Guinevere wants a baby real bad she turns to morgane who at times in the book she hates at times in the book she's really nice to they have a really interesting relationship all of the uh, relationships in the book are very multi layered. I really, she has the time. She took the time to build to build those. Um, the there's a there's a menage a trois scene in the middle hmm. of the book where it's clear to Arthur that Lancelot and Guinevere have a thing going on. They haven't done anything, but it's clear that they like each other a lot. Arthur and Guinevere are having a real tough time with the fact that she keeps trying to have kids and keeps miscarrying and can't. Um, so she goes to Morgan and is like, give me something so that I can have sex with Lancelot and like, we'll have the kid. And Arthur said, that's cool. He'll raise it as his own. That's a thing that Arthur said.
0: Did Arthur say that? He
1: did say that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, then everyone gets super drunk and Arthur just invites the both of them back into his room and is like, hey. Go for it. I'm here, too. Wait, is he watching? He, or is he he's in par- it? He's in it. Oh. So this has like a couple of things that ripple out through the rest of the book. It doesn't work. She still doesn't have a kid. Um, it starts spreading like wildfire throughout the whole kingdom that Arthur is letting her have sex with Lancelot. Um, it plays into some stuff that is underexplored maybe or maybe it's as explored as it needed to be that like (laughs) Lancelot is bi or at least really loves Arthur and there's a lot of rumors about why he has never been with a woman and refuses to marry do you think Um, in a book
0: that's coming out in 19 like the late 80s I think that that's meant to be read as bisexuality or it's meant to be read as just like he's gay and closeted (sighs) I, think I feel like to, to read to read in it feels too much like bringing twenty nineteen to it.
1: That's a fair point, and I I'm using that based on reading about the book. It's not used in the book, um, so it might not be. I think it's it's could just as easily be gay and closeted. Um, yeah, I don't
0: I don't want to I don't want to yeah. say what the book is because yeah. you're the one who read it. But I'm just bringing up that that possibility. No,
1: no, no. It is presented as he has never looked upon a woman that way until he saw guinevere and then later in the book he kind of admits to her and himself that it was mostly so that he could be near arthur got it um he does get trapped in a marriage with a woman named elaine and has a bunch of kids because morgane is trying to keep the court like not from falling apart that's a bad sentence um Um, and so he's trying to make the court fall apart no she's trying to keep the court together and to She's remove, trying to keep it from
0: falling apart. Yes,
1: to remove tension, okay. she creates a whole scheme where Lancelot sleeps with someone else, gets caught, and then has to marry her. Um, oh, yeah,
0: that sounds totally relaxed yep, and totally free.
1: Cool. <laughs> um, so the whole back half of the book, and we can get out of the plot at this point, um, is really people trying to preserve some sort of status quo at the court because there's been this lasting peace in Britain. And they're scared of getting rid of it. And yet Avalon is continuing to lose ground to Christianity. Um, Kevin Harper, the second Merlin, um, who becomes a love interest. He is a beautiful musician. He is um, disfigured and was like burned as a kid. And like it's he has to kind of overcome that in every interaction with people but then he has the sight also and foresees that Avalon is going to recede so he basically jump ship to Christianity and is a real crappy Merlin um he
0: becomes a major I, nobody p- named Kevin could be a great <laughs> Merlin I knew it I knew it about Kevin um so hey, I'm more Kevin I'm Kevin the wizard imagine if Tolgi and a duck hey I'm Kevin the blue I'm here to save Middle-earth or whatever. <laughs>
1: um, so the the back part of the book is like now that people have kind of shifted around and there is a status quo, how do we preserve it? How do I still get what I want without breaking up Britain? Um, how do I preserve Avalon and preserve this religion uh, without seeding ground or without losing Arthur? And oh, maybe Arthur's actually not the best king moving forward. What are we going to do when he's gone? um and the the kind of denouement of the book is his son Gwydion everyone learning who Gwydion is Gwydion's kind of this like chaos energy that comes in and is just like this all sucks and like <laughs> the time of peace and people following the same religion is over we're all just going to fight forever so we might as well be strong um, I think he's the one at some point in the book that argues like war is good because it teaches us new things. <laughs> it's like, what are you? Um, yeah, he's a real stinker, and I'm glad that he gets what he gets at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so why do I think? What did I like about this book, or why do I think it resonated with people? I don't say this pejoratively. The kind of relationship map that I gave you earlier that gave you a headache. Um, really works as, like, soap opera serialized storytelling where people are constantly, like, re-encountering each other because it takes place over decades. So you, like, get one relationship between characters and then, like, someone gets married to someone else and then those people are put in a room, you know, 100 pages later and their lives are different and they interact differently but in a way that still makes sense. Like, that is... That, to me... F- feels true and makes these characters feel like more than just parts of a myth. Um, okay. And in particular, the women get that treatment. Um, they can be revered. They can be mistrusted. They can be worthy of song. They can be self-centered and deceitful. Like, And very few of the women in the book are only one of those things. Um, so I think if you're someone who, was already enjoying fantasy fiction and was like waiting for a book to have a bunch of characters that are not just, you know, knights and Aragorn or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. dudes particularly, like if you're looking for not just that, uh, this has that and kind of really delves deep into who they are. Um, I didn't love how every 200 pages characters, argued about what god is i understand that's important to the story (laughs) um but it did feel like an argument that they were having multiple times over where like someone would be like well the christian god is the only one that works and someone from the avalon religion would be like yeah but like all the gods are the god it's just whatever the gods are that's fine We need these people to believe in this God over here, so that they, you know, grow crops and you know we can rule them safely. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, That particular argument happens a lot, and it is it doesn't always feel fresh. What does feel fresh about it is something I don't know that I remember Game of Thrones doing particularly well, but like the way that religion can become politicized. um, They there's another moment similar to whether or not he's going to raise the cross where uh, he blesses some Saxons who become good guys later um, by, like, holding up Excalibur. And he holds it up as a cross. And uh, Morgaine gets very mad because Excalibur is an Avalonian sword. It shouldn't be making Christ symbols or anything like that. And they have a pretty interesting discussion about, like, Honestly, what if it was just a symbol that I made politically so that they would follow me later? Um, and a lot of things, a lot of discussions happen like that where it's like, is the religion, are you talking about the belief system or are you talking about the reality that like people need to follow symbols that they believe in or else they're just going to fight all the time?
0: Yeah, there, there are a couple of layers to that. One is like that, that the the cover of the book is a woman holding a sword by the Laid, which seems really <laughs> stupid and only makes sense if you consider that they're trying to drive home the cross imagery. sure sure um and then the second thing is i mean christianity has a rich history of appropriating yeah totally pagan symbols and and the holidays in a way to make it easier to assimilate other cultures and other religions so yeah I this, think this, this seems pretty in character and I I assume that the book is doing that intentionally but yes, I guess I correct
1: it I, I think it is doing that intentionally I think it's doing it in a way that allows you to imagine the personal motivations for why someone would do that as opposed to it being kind of an abstract concept of like Oh, and then uh, this nation moved over here and took over this nation. Like there's a strong, because it is based on myth, there's a strong sense of who the movers and shakers are. And like some of them are motivated by high ideals and some of them are actually motivated by like, this is who I want to bang. And it's been making me sad for decades that I can't bang this person. So I'm going to cause an international incident. Um And I guess that kind of gets me to there were there weren't I think this my experience is not dissimilar from some of the articles we've mentioned where folks like going back to reread it knowing what they know about Bradley and you're like what do you take away from it would you reread it again I would not mostly because I think I would then be even looking harder for stuff that makes me think about Bradley Um There's just an interesting and really in-depth understanding of, like, manipulation and uh, using people um, that, without knowledge of the author, you would look at and go, oh, that's just, like, huh, that's some interesting stuff. Like, the, the machinations that Avalon makes throughout the book are very personal and involve, like making members of your family do things that are unsavory or that they're going to hate you for later but you had good reasons quote unquote um and that just it the book does not present it as good necessarily um i don't know that's where the book gets the most complicated for me um yeah i don't know okay
0: all, right. all right do you have any other questions no, I'm good. I I did not. I'm surprised that you didn't bring up that Juliana Margulies is in the the uh, <laughs> 2001 Mrs. <Mists of> Avalon <laughs> miniseries. That's one okay. thing that I think you've overlooked. Sure. Um, you asked me to to talk about other Arthurian uh, adaptations that I thought might be interesting for people who wanted more of this universe. So obviously. Uh, first one is Kid in King Arthur's Court. Yes. Which has 5% on Rotten Tomatoes and has uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig and Kate Winslet among other people in it. Okay. Um, And then the other adaptation that really caught my eye was uh, the 2017 film Transformers The Last Night. Wait. Which opens with a bit where in the year 484, King Arthur... And Merlin make a pact with a group of Transformers who are living on Earth to help win a war. I forgot about that. I did know that, and I forgot. I forgot so that Merlin the, was in a Transformers the transfor- movie. The Transformers movies are in the Arthurian canon, and we just have to kind of deal with that as a culture. And I don't think that we've. I don't think that we've processed that yet. No, I don't think that we have
1: um well thanks for listening to me talk about this book andrew you're welcome i i do think i get why people have been digging it for years and i also get why people don't want it don't want it
0: anymore that part i have a lot of access to yeah (laughs) the part Um, where you know the book is still has value that i can understand but i didn't read it myself so you know, can't get there myself.
1: Yes. Um, if you were thinking about buying this book but then don't want to anymore, you could go to rainrainn.org and maybe kick them some money for the resources that they provide for folks uh, who have experienced abuse and need support might do that that would be a good thing to do yeah that sounds good um another less good but not bad thing you could do is write us an email you could do that at overduepod at gmail.com we read it it's there you could do that um you could spread the word on social media uh like what facebook.com slash overdue pod and twitter.com slash overdue that's what it is thanks to folks like sean eliana amy clara kate leanne tasha charlotte jane courtney michael michelle gloria and more for talking to us throughout the week andrew folks want to know more where
0: should they go they can go to overduepodcast.com where we have uh, the lists of books that we're going to read craig we have a january schedule that's going to be coming out yeah we do to kick 2020 off right you want to tell me about that
1: yeah we're going to be talking about the prince by machiavelli the testaments by margaret atwood uh, new book in the Handmaid's Tale universe. Didn't know it was a universe, but now it is. It is now. Um, we are a crossover episode with Allie from the SSR podcast Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots, uh, which is Bailey School Kids number one. Uh, and then closing out the month with Wool by Hugh Howie. And of course, we will post some new episodes of Hellboys as we... Uh, Ascend Mount Purgatory
0: into Paradise Yeah, finally get into paradise Anything else? Uh, Other stuff on that website, our Patreon page Patreon.com slash overdue pod Links to uh, Apple Podcasts Google Play and our RSS feed We're also available on Spotify, please do subscribe uh, Wherever you prefer to Listen to podcasts And we've got a new listener page that is As usual, long overdue for an update (laughs) But if you're trying to introduce people to the show and they don't just want to pick a book that they are familiar with and start there, that is a place where we put episodes that we think went pretty well. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. So, yeah.
1: Thanks for listening,
0: everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. We will be back next week. And uh, until 2020, everyone, please try to be happy.